You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Absolutely beautiful morning here in TW11 as we welcome you to the podcast Thursday, the 21st of April. What a time of year this is for racing fans. There is so much to cram into the next half an hour, 40 minutes that we must kick off straight away with some good news, some really good news that Brian Hughes became only the fourth rider in history in Great Britain to record 200 winners in a national hunt season. We'll be hearing from him in a moment. He's the first northern based jockey to achieve this feat. Uh, but first of all, Jane Mangan, RTE, Racing TV, ITV, just about every other TV uh, presenter, analyst, commentator is with me today. Jane, what an achievement. Uh, how, you, how would you rank this 200 in a season? A major feather in his cap, um, Nick. The first Northern-based rider to reach 150 winners back in February, and this has been the target since he, re- he joins Anthony McCoy, Dickie Johnson, and Peter Scudamore, just four jockeys to achieve the double century in a season. And with 1,523 winners under his belt in his career in GB, he is the winning most active uh, national hunt jockey in the UK. He's been a phenomenal rider. He's operating at around 21% this season. He's almost 100 ahead of his nearest rival, Sam Twiston Davis. And that's just a testament to him and the work rate of the rider that he is. Um, began his career with Kevin Prendergast and you can see that flat influence in his riding style. He really is a work machine. Well, I've been speaking to the champion jockey-elect, Brian Hughes, and I began by asking him whether he was a little worried that he might run out of time to complete this momentous milestone. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I was starting to just thinking it might not happen, but um, as I say, we, we were leaving it fairly late. I kind of I kind of thought I would have done it at Sedgefield the day before because I had four really good rides and obviously two of them won, but two of them got beat. And then, yeah, obviously, the last couple of weeks were getting on good horses, well, what we thought were good rides. But then, you know, it's been a long season for some of them horses, so they just weren't performing as we thought they might have done. But, no, look, it was it was great to um, to, to get to get a 200 on 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 dreams of home for donald and uh yeah so it was just a a relief as much as anything you've had the foot down right from the outset this season how stung were you by relinquishing your your championship last year uh yeah i'm not gonna lie nick uh it hurt a lot um it wasn't that harry beat me it was not sorry it wasn't that harry beat harry beat me it was just the fact that anyone beat me I led most of the season and then got um, chinned in the last couple of weeks. So that was hugely frustrating. Um, but I sort of thought to myself, right, I'm going to grip my teeth at the start of this year and I'm going to put my head down and, and try my very best. And if I don't win the championship, it won't be for the lack of effort. And um, I was lucky I rode a treble on the first day of this, the new season last uh, this season. And... Um, yeah, we just kept the head down, and as I say, obviously I needed a lot of the, the the balls to land in my court, like 
that we had the good weather. Uh, we didn't lose many meetings. Donald's horses, among other trainers who I ride for, were in great form throughout the whole season. So, and um, I was lucky with injuries and suspensions. I didn't have any. So, um, yeah, um, we had a lot of luck, and uh, thankfully, it's all gone the right way. And did you actually actively target two hundred? Do you think I this is that's your sort of my main aim? No, I, I, excuse me. I I I, th- I thought. You know, obviously, I've, I've got into the 140s for the last three or four seasons, and um, I always wanted to break the 150 winners a season because obviously the record was set by John Joe O'Neill when he was champion jockey based in the north of 149. So, obviously, to get to the 150 was the aim, and then that was at Carlisle in February. And then my agent was there, and he said, In jest, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we're aiming for 200 now. And I thought well, that's a tall order, but um. Look, we, we we gave it a good go, and and thankfully we got there just in the nick of time. So um, it wasn't really on my radar because, to be honest, I didn't really think it was too achievable. What about Sandown Saturday? Are, are you going to put the cherry on the cake? I'd like to think so, but I've got a few rides. Um, I mean, they've got probably outside chances. Um, it would be great to get a winner there, um, but it's competitive days racing. So look. Hopefully, um, we have a few rides, so it'd be great to, to ride a winner there. But to win, lose, or draw, I can't really complain. I've had a great season, so um, yeah, we, we'd, um, we could probably be greedy for another day and try and hope for another winner. But you know, realistically, that might not happen. But either which way, I, I can't complain. Brian Hughes, there, the champion jockey elect. Now, clearly everyone in the racing world's thoughts are still with Josh Moore, who remains in a critical condition in Aintree University Hospital after complications involving a chest infection followed an operation to repair his damaged femur in that fall at Haydock Park last Saturday. As we've said on this podcast many times before, he is a jockey who has suffered wretchedly with injuries over the last couple of years. His family remained by his bedside. Our thoughts are clearly with him and with them. Jane, we need to tip our hats to another rider who hasn't had the best of fortune with injuries and has had to call time on her career, but nonetheless is a, a really significant talent and one that should be duly recognised. Lucy Alexander. Yes, she was probably an unsung hero, Lucy Alexander, when we talk about women in racing. Her name is often omitted and not for for the last talent. She was an amazing rider and for me, I, I met her in Ballydoyle when we were only mere youngsters and you could tell from putting her on feisty fillies to hardy colts she was a real horsewoman. So it was no surprise that she became the first female uh, champion conditional in, in the UK. She was um, a real just natural talent from riding over fences positively to horses coming off the bridle early and giving horses AP McCoy-esque rides. But... 17 months after suffering a fall at Newcastle where she fractured her L3 vertebrae, she's called time in her career. And it's, it is sad because I, I do believe that if, if Lucy had got um, top quality horses, she would have won grade one races. And I know listeners in might think, sure, any rider could say that, but I don't think any rider can win on horses that are not the best horse in the race. And Lucy Alexander had that talent. Yeah, very bright. Um, very modest, humble, very talented. And although she's had to bring her riding career to a, a premature close, I'm sure she would think, um, she's got a big future ahead of her now uh, in her role 
as one of the, the key players in the burgeoning, ever burgeoning, huge Andrew Balding training operation. So we wish Lucy Alexander well. Uh, Jane, there's the strange case of the Irish amateur rider, Luke McGuinness. Um, tell me why we should take a particular interest in this. Yes, so dates are very important here. So I'll do my best to walk through the, the dates. Um, Navin 2017, he tested positive for a metabolite cocaine after a random in-competition urine uh, sample. So he got suspended in March of 2018. He got a two-year ban for which he served six months. Fast forward to January 2020, a similar in-competition urine test taken at Torella point-to-point. He again tested positive for a metabolite of cocaine, becoming the first rider in Ireland ever to test positive twice. That was back in October of 2020 when he received a six-year suspension, uh, which was imposed following an application to suspend the penalty. That was heard in December of 2021, the 13th of December, specifically following testimonials from uh, Jennifer Pugh, the IHRB senior medical officer, Gordon Elliott, for whom he was working, and the trainer, Nigel Slevin. His application to suspend that penalty was successful. He returned on December 22nd, 2021, and just five days later on December 27th at Limerick, at the Christmas meeting at Limerick, again, an in-competition urine test, he tested positive for a third time. A metabolite cocaine found in that sample. He did not request a B sample. He got a four-year sentence on what the four years that was left on his original six years. He is uh, allowed to reapply after the initial four years is up. So the initial four years of the initial six year suspension that was imposed. But I suppose the main question, Nick, is why was he allowed back? Well, I mean, I think a, a large part of the reason why he was allowed back was because Jennifer Pugh, the much respected chief medical officer in Ireland, uh, testified that this was a guy who turned his life around, had taken a number of negative tests in the intervening period, and she was really convinced that he was on the road to recovery and she must feel pretty peeved at what's happened subsequently the IHRB has issued a a statement saying the anti-doping program in place for riders within the IHRB remains robust with 367 tests carried out between the race course and point to points in 2021 and all four positives being for cocaine while a banned substance remains just that there are stark differences between performance enhancing drugs and illicit substances with health and safety being the main concern for anyone using cocaine along with the fact that these are illegal substances these cases all have a personal story behind them from occasional recreational users to those suffering from addiction cocaine is the substance we are finding most which is a direct reflection of the scourge this drug is placing on our society and jockeys are no different in how they socialize and the circumstance they may find themselves in however as a licensed jockey the use of substances is simply not an option at any time while continuing to look at various ways to enhance our anti-doping program the ihrb also offer full support to all riders who seek help at any stage the licensees remain fortunate to have the support of the irish injured jockeys fund the irish jockeys trust who fund counseling and rehabilitation facilities when needed and we continue to improve education opportunities for all jockeys regarding the use of drugs so understanding that there is a need for education and compassion And, of course, to balance that with the necessary justice. The question here, Jane, is whether that um, olive branch was extended a little too far. Yes, and I know each case is individual because a case is actually a person and a person's well-being, whether it be health or mental. And I I do think, um, you know, five days later, it was an absolute insult to the integrity of all those who tested 
give testimonial on his behalf and it's extremely disappointing and maybe it'll take uh, this case for the IHRB maybe it'll take a harsh review going forward but they were compassionate and they were proven wrong unfortunately that isn't always the case it is a minority of cases but when you're the first person to test positive twice in a country and then be the first person to do it three times it's a it's a bad look uh, and it's it's little wonder now that such a comprehensive statement has been released to me this morning because and i wasn't aware that this was coming jane two more of these have just literally dropped as we've been speaking so so tell me what the deal is here yes so we've mentioned uh, luke mcginnis well he was the first repeat offender uh, when it came to drug use in Ireland. Well, he's been quickly followed by Liam Quinlan. Liam is a talented £5 claiming conditional here in Ireland. He had a breach of the rules for cocaine back in 2019. Well, he was caught again in Limerick, November 16th, 2021. He failed a dope test for a metabolite of cocaine. And just over 10 days later, in November 29th of 2021, he failed to submit to a dope test. So Liam has been hit with a four-year ban and he was joined in the referrals committee uh, not long later by Paul Lake, an amateur by uh, the name Paul Lake. He failed a dope test at Fairy House in November 2021. My God, Nick, it's like an avalanche. Yeah, how bad is, is Irish racing's cocaine problem, I suppose, is going to be one question. Um, another question is, actually, is the regulator doing a pretty good job because its testing is robust it's catching everybody in the net and it's dishing out significant penalties. They're not significant enough to deter them by the looks of it. Look, it's probably not an Irish racing uh, drug problem. It's a societal, societal problem, not only in Ireland, but around, around the world. And it's not acceptable. Nobody, yeah, reading these referral hearings, one alluded to a once-off use of, re of the recreational drug. Absolutely don't buy that. Nobody believes that. Once you get caught, you get caught. It doesn't matter if you use it every day or once. Um, and I think the IHRB's testing systems are the biggest factor here. They will be the deterrent. The more people you expose, the bigger deterrent going forward. You will never be able to control. The IHRB are not the government. They cannot control what's going on in society. It's every person's decision to be responsible for their own actions and to own it. So yes, the testing procedures need to be rigorous. They are rigorous. They are exposing people and they need to continue to do so. Yeah, as I said, those, those two uh, additional cases beyond the McGuinness one have come through as we've been, as we've been recording. Um, there is more food for thought for the IHRB. However, Jane, a Pat Hayes is a trainer of uh, some repute and has had significant success with a, a smallish string over the years but last year he was um, convicted of animal neglect after one of his horses was found starving on his land uh, he was charged with the offense after the guards found the horse in the i quote highest level of suffering in february 2020 now it hasn't escaped the notice of those in irish racing that pat hayes has continued to send out runners one yesterday now the ihrb it was said appeared to be not doing anything about this, but I have contacted the IHRB about this, Jane, and they have said they cannot comment on an ongoing case. Now, this suggests to me that there is a case ongoing. The question is, why, in light of the Stephen Mann inquiry, hasn't Pat Hayes been suspended pending? But that also suggests that the IHRB might think this case isn't quite as serious 
as the Stephen Mann case. Of course, I'm reading between the lines, but I think what you need to know is there is a case about to be about to be brought. But it is a legitimate question why you treat both cases differently. And the next le- legitimate question is when the Guardi found this horse, this was back in February 2020, this is over two years later, why is it still pending? Why has there been nothing uh, about it before now? We read about it in a wider media circle. Uh, so yeah, February 2020, Guardi were, uh, were alerted by a passerby who was out walking, saw the animal in distress. Guardi were on the scene, described the horse as in the highest level of suffering, called the vet, and subsequently the horse uh, was euthanized and it was found to have had no food or water available in the field, but was not the only horse in the field. So September 2020, he was charged uh, with animal neglect under the Animal Welfare Act, despite pleading not guilty. He received a three-month suspended prison sentence and ordered to pay €5,000 to a local animal charity, Kildare Animal Foundation. So yes, this is pending, but I would wonder why it has taken over two years to even come to light. Well, the IHRB, the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board, has had a bulging in the last couple of years, Jane, and I wouldn't imagine they're tremendously well-manned to deal with their caseload at present, and that might require a bit more in the way of resource, in which case you'd think, given the fact that the Chief Executive of Irish Racing, HRI, Suzanne Ede, has just been awarded a fairly significant pay rise, there would be resource to to spend you would uh this is another headline that is snappy i suppose people read the uh increase in pay some people might uh find it difficult to justify a pay rise of a hundred of, of fifty three thousand euro at a starting base for the ceo of hri but hri warned uh, during the recruitment process that they would find it extremely difficult to get the right person based on lower salary rates they carried out their own independent review which found chief executives in a similar role earn between 172,000 euro to 232,000 euro and this is a government appointed position it is a government funded position and a spokesperson for the Department of Public Expenditure stated the terms for the recent appointment of the new CEO of HRI, so Susan Ead, uh, reflect the responsibilities of the job and the recommendations of an independent assessment carried out by New Era, an office of the National Treasury Management Agency. So, yes, Susan Ead is getting paid plenty, but she's got a lot of pressure in her role. Well, interesting news came from Australia yesterday that there were further revisions to the restrictions for runners coming uh, to the Melbourne Cup Carnival uh, issued by Racing Victoria. You'll remember this caused quite a storm last year when uh, enforced scintigraphy tests were put in place before horses flew out to the Melbourne Cup and then on arrival. Uh, Jay McGrath is still down under. Jim, uh, what's the story now? Is this going to make life easier or harder for foreign invaders? Well, it's interesting, Nick, because uh, there has been still an outcry here about uh, the new uh, precautions that have been brought in. Uh, Basically, uh, the mandatory pre-export scintigraphy has been scrapped, and I think universally that's been applauded. I think everyone thought that that was going too far. As we all know, the reason they've brought in these uh, measures is because 
there was uh, an increased uh, death rate, uh, particularly in the Melbourne Cup, which, of course, is the showcase for Australian racing. So anything that happens on that day is viewed by most people as representing what happens throughout the whole year. And uh, it's a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down to racing, depending on what happens in those three minutes and 20 seconds. So we can understand why it was all done. But I think the horsemen and everyone directly concerned with the horses is now sort of getting a little bit tired of thinking that it's gone over the top. And I think it has been applauded that the, uh, that the scintigraphy has been scrapped. However, horses of concern will still have to undergo the scintigraphy. And when they say horses of concern, they're talking about horses whose vet history indicates that there may be some sort of risk or their racing history and also the pre-travel inspections this is interesting they're going to increase the pre-travel inspections uh, from two inspections to three so again this is really going to the extreme to make sure that there are no horses getting on the plane that could pose a risk when they get to the other end now i'm expecting uh the uh, the veterinary uh, officer from the racing from racing victoria when that officer is traveling in europe i think that they're going to have plenty of debate on ground with trainers throughout uh england ireland and france and anyone who's uh, uh, wishing to come over. It is always subject for debate, as we know, with horses. Trainers will always argue that they know their horses best and the vets who are, in this case, very, very often, uh, well, they are independent and they're taking a view on a horse that they've only seen sometimes for about 10 minutes. So it is uh, a big change and I think uh, uh, some of it's applauded. Another interesting thing is that um, there are three facilities here at the moment that are used to, to bring horses uh, through quarantine into Australia, into the main system. One is at Werribee, which we all know about in Melbourne, which is the one that's mostly used. There is a state government facility at Mickleham, which is a, 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 a facility just outside Tullamarine Airport in Melbourne. This has no galloping facilities. So any horse that goes there is in quarantine for two weeks, sitting in a box and just walking around a yard. The other one is in uh, Canterbury in Sydney, a racetrack where they do have a full facility. And so they are the three um, places where you can enter into the system in Australia. Now, in future, um, all of them uh, must undergo scans if they are going to race within 10 weeks of leaving those facilities. So this is very interesting because there have been some owners and trainers who have seen a loophole there and have sent their horses to Mickleham and to Canterbury and has short, uh, short, had a shortcut on the system. That'll no longer be possible. So big changes and I think uh, interesting to see what happens and the way it unfolds. Uh, well, no such integrity free test required the other way from Australia to the UK, which is good news for the Royal Ascot runners. Artorius has added his name to the list for Anthony and Sam Friedman. We're going to talk to Jamie Spencer in a moment. Uh, what can you tell me about the horse? Well, he's a, a very interesting three-year-old. Uh, he's a colt who's a, uh, by Flying Artie, who's had great success with his progeny. Um, he's a good sprinter. He managed to finish sixth in the new market. Uh, which is a handicap, but it is the principal sprint in Australia. Uh, as we know full well, there are Group 1 handicaps here in Australia, and uh, this is regarded as 
the best sprint. We had a, an upset winner of the race this year when the the uh, the field divided into two, and the ones on the far side were successful. Artorias ran with great credit. Uh, he finished sixth in that race uh, behind the the rank outsider Rock and Horse, who won the race, and he was beaten 3.05 lengths. So he's well up to it, and it's interesting that. Uh, trainers or a family as astute as the Freedmans are uh, interested in bringing him over. He's a China Horse Club uh, uh, horse as well, races in their colours, and also uh, raced by Newgate Bloodstock, Newgate Stud, who are big uh, big players here in Australia. Jay McGrath reporting from Australia. Uh, Jamie Spencer has picked up the ride on Artorius, and I asked him a little about it earlier on today. Obviously, I went through his form, and he ran very well in the Coolmore at Flemington. And he came home well behind Home Affairs that day and looked like he'd be suited to Ascot from watching that race alone. So, yeah, it's, obviously it's a, it's a bit of big undertaking coming up here, so they, they obviously mean business. Jamie Anthony and Lee Friedman have clearly done their homework and have worked out you've got an excellent record on the straight track at Ascot. Is there something about that course you particularly enjoy riding? I suppose I have a good record on it going back, going back to years. It's, you know, I've been lucky, I suppose, getting riding for the right trainers. You know, they sometimes get racing. It's a vast, wide, wide open track. You know, it's, you just need, you know, you know, you need a certain amount of luck there. Jamie, closer to hand, you're on cash tomorrow in the Bet365 Classic trial at Sandown. It looks a good race. How good a horse do you think he is? He's an improving horse, you know, he's, he's only had the one start. We've had a very dry spring, so we haven't been on the grass that much, but he's, he's had an away day and Dave is happy to start him off here. And, you know, it looks a, it looks a, it looks a good spot for him. And what, what do you, how would you rate him in terms of his, his sort of stamina requirements? He's obviously by Shamadal, who imparts a lot of speed into horses. Does he feel like a, a real stayer to you? Um, well, he's done one over a mile and a half. Um, so, yeah. Look, I think to be a really good horse, you'd, you'd hope he'd stay a mile and a half. But um, I'm sure 10 won't be a problem when he won on like over a mile at Newmarket first time. And you've had a great relationship with David Simcock going back a lot of years. But David's often said that for him, to, for his business to really thrive, he's had to sell a lot of horses abroad. Is it a pretty special feeling in the yard now to have a horse that you can you can really, or a couple of horses that you can really attack the, the classics with? Yeah, you just... You know, what, as, you, as, you, as you alluded to there, a lot of horses get sold. It's just the way um, the dynamics of our industry here in, at the moment. But, um, yeah, it's nice that we've held on to him and light infantry. And, you know, they looked to be two promising young horses. So, but it's like everything where our geese are swans at the moment. So hopefully they everything goes smoothly and they can, one or the other steps right up. And, yeah, light infantry still still got the, the guineas entry. Is the plan for him to go straight there? I think so, yeah, that's the plan. He's had an away day as well and happy enough with him. So, you know, it's, uh, it looks a, a good guinea. So, um, say Charlie Appleby looks to have the, the strongest hand at the moment and obviously we've got Luxembourg in there as well. Well, Jamie, there was talking about uh, Cash, who runs in tomorrow's classic trial at Sandown. One of his rivals is a fascinating horse. He's called Frantastic, uh, as you might gather from the name he's by Frankel. What you won't gather from the name is that he is a full brother to Cracksman and therefore owned and bred by Anthony Oppenheimer and his Haskeman Valiant studs. Uh, Anthony, I'm delighted to say, joins me now from France. But you are, Anthony, I'm hoping, coming back in time to watch the horse at Sandown. I'm definitely coming back um, to watch the horse at Sandown. Um, I haven't actually yet had a chance to look at the field, but I know he's running. I'm probably quite firm, I think, at Sandown, but we'll see. 
well, normally this for this fixture, uh, the clerk puts plenty of water on for the for the flat horses. And you've just raised an interesting question there. We know Cracksman was was very good with a lot of give underfoot. It, does this horse sort of share a lot of physical traits of his brother? Well, I think he does actually. It's a question whether he um, stays as far as as Cracksman does, because you know genetics will. They don't often fool brothers. Don't aren't exactly the same. But um, he's been showing a lot of speed, so we'll see. As Cracksman was a was a deceptively fast horse, wasn't he? He was. He was. He he, he really was. And he's got quite a very fast. He's got the f- f- female line with the Guinness winner in it. And St. Radigan was a very fast horse, but to hurt itself. Now, St. Radigand is the grand dam of both Fantastic and Cracksman. She's the dam of, of, right. of Radigunda. You've talked a little bit about her to me, to me before. Was she the one that got away, if you like? Is, is it her talent is now only just being seen two generations later? Well, I think that's right. I mean, you know, Jeff Rag um, trained St. Radigan, and he always said to me that she was by far the best filly that we've, that we've had. And then, then, then damaged herself, unfortunately. The female line with the guineas when it didn't hit it at all is, is you know, um, well, I, I thought Cracksman stayed very well, but I'm not sure about this one. We, we just don't know. But Rebecca Sharp was our best filly, really, won the coronation. And um, definitely, um, this, this, uh, this, his, his granddam was better than Rebecca Sharp. So it's quite interesting to see if that's coming out. And and the excitement is is twofold, really. One, because you've got an, another beautifully bred horse with John and Thady Gosden, who's on the classic trail. But second, because his full brother is now about to start having runners, uh, Cracksman. Um, what reports are you are you getting of, of what people have seen so far? Well, I'm getting very good reports. But, you know... Um, they're always optimistic about their two-year-olds. But I, I think I've known five or six trainers say they've got very good cracksmen. But uh, we shall see. Um, we, we, I've got um, actually three. Um, and they're all looking, you know, they look like being good two-year-olds later in the season rather than immediately. But we'll see. And uh, you've got three in training now. Who are they? Who are, they? are they all with, with John? No, they're not. They're they're a mixture. Uh, one with John, one with um, Charlie Fellows, and I think one is um, uh, with um, uh, uh, sorry uh, William Haggis. But actually, um, I haven't. My two roles are still in the process of being broken by Malcolm Barstart, so that not maybe one or two have already gone to the trainers, but they're all due to go fairly soon. And uh, and I must ask how Golden Horn's getting on because. They're all ultimately from the same family. They are. I mean, Golden Horn, you know, I always thought we'd never stay the Derby distance. And, and I'm still staggered that there's only one line in her, his pedigree that's the staying line. But Golden Horn seemed to stay, and he don't really like the soft ground much. So um, I'm hoping that um, he'll do, you know, well this season. He needs to have a Group 1 winner. Otherwise, I'm afraid... You know, he's not doing as well as we'd hoped. And have you perhaps got one that might that might fly the flag for him? <laughs> I've got one entered in the I've got one entered in the Oaks, but I, I don't think that's going to run. So I, I would say that at the moment we've got one or two quite nice golden horns. 
I've had a, um, a couple of flowers where I got them on. They're very nice. But he, he does need a little pace. Um, they stay for a long way. They certainly stay for a mile and a half. Well, Auntie, I'm looking forward to seeing you at Sandown tomorrow. Uh, best of luck with, with Fantastic. And, and fingers crossed, lightning can strike twice. Lovely. Thank you very much indeed. Well, all this talk of uh, the classics, Jane, we still got Punchestown to get through first next week. And I will be there for the first time ever. I'm very happy, but slightly ashamed to say. I don't know what's more exciting, the prospect of having Nick Luck at Punchestown or Bob Ollinger stepping up three miles. Probably the fact that Honeysuckle is going to win another champion hurdle. But yeah, it's, it's, it's on the horizon. Tuesday, we kick off with uh, the three mile uh, Bob Ollinger test at Punchestown. But God forbid, you know, the Punchestown or the Cheltenham performance was not his usual and he'll have to turn completely around. We have the prospect of Willie Mullins beating Willie Mullins in the two-mile novice hurdle on that day with Dysart, Dynamo, Kilcrot, Statements, or Gerhard all in there. Let's hope a mighty Potter of John Bond or Colonel Mustard turn up to keep them honest. You've champion Chase, Shaq and Persuad versus Nergameen. Please, God, let them both stand up and we have a proper race. The Gold Cup, the prospect on Wednesday of Alaho, Manila, Indo and Candice all lining up. Not to mention the rematch of the bumper. Can anything beat Fasal Vega? American Mike, American Mike and James's gate likely to line up against him again. The stairs hurdle, we're missing the main champion flooring quarter. The prospect of J.P. McManus is a pair of and champ with the appetite of Paisley Park and Time Hill. Um, the two-mile novice chase on the Thursday, Blue Lord, Gabby Nacco, Gentleman Demi, again, a rematch of the second and third from the Arkle. Friday's champion hurdle is all about honeysuckle. I met her yesterday. She said she didn't even know who Constitution Hill was. And on Saturday... The four-year-old champion hurdle is all about Boban. Surely Fieldor, Gaelic Warrior, Iletetan, they will struggle to turn it around with him. Wow, an impressively rapid spin-through of the high-profile entry for Punchestown next week. Jane, just turning our attention to the United States, sad news of the death of Midnight Bourbon, the second high-profile equine fatality from last year's classic crop following Medina Spirit. Midnight Bourbon, still only the winner of a, a single race, but so many high-profile efforts in defeat, and uh, he will be sorely, sorely missed. Yes, um, I suppose owned by Winchell, he, he was a very consistent horse without ever really getting his day in the sun, and this makes it all the sadder because you really felt that he had a big one in him. Uh, we don't know an awful lot about what happened. The gastrointestinal uh, issue suggests maybe it was a, a colic, but I'm only inferring my own... Um, speculation on that. Look, he was second in the Preakness, put it, pushed essential quality all the way in the Travers last year. He was third in the Saudi Cup, and when we last saw him, he was he was fifth in the Dubai World Cup. But you did see that there was a big pot in him, and these things are never, you know, we never want this information, we never want to hear uh, this type of news. But it happened at, at Churchill, and uh, from what we we don't know an awful lot, to Nick, but it is most unfortunate. Well, so since inception a decade ago, the Magnolia Cup, the charity race at Goodwood, has raised hundreds of thousands of pounds for really important charities and features every year a selection of inspirational women from across a broad range of sport and industries. Amongst the competitors recently announced this year is Olympic gold medalist, a modern pentathlete Kate French, who became the first British gold medalist at the Olympics since 2000 when winning in Tokyo and, and joins me now. Now, Kate... No pressure, but I was trying to look for people with, with, with equestrian credentials on this list, and there aren't that many. 
<laughs> don't say that. I don't need the pressure, but um, no, it's all it's all for charity. So yeah, I'm just yeah, we're just hoping to put on a, a good race and everyone get this finished safely. So how are you feeling about it, and how different an experience is this going to be for you riding in a race? Um, I'm uh, loving it at the moment. It's very different to to what I'm used to. So we're used to show jumping. Um, but I'm really enjoying it and I've been riding out with Alan King um, who have all been really helpful so far Um, so yeah really really enjoying the journey and so when did you know you were going to be going to be doing it and how sort of intensive has the as the training been Um, so I think I found out I was doing it um, maybe late last year um, but just started training February um so yeah need to well luckily I do quite a lot of gym work anyway but it needs to be very strong and um yeah just it's just so different like the position on the horse like not used to having my stirrups so short um so yeah just about getting used to that and um yeah just being able to control a very fast horse and and tell me how how are you marrying this up with your with your sort of professional life if you like um, yeah, so I'm just fitting it in around training at the moment, um, uh, and yeah, early starts. So normally I'm going out on a Wednesday morning, um, so yeah, a bit earlier than I'm used to getting up. <laughs> um, but it's it. I think it's fitting in well. Actually, it's giving me more riding exposure as well. Um, so yeah yeah fitting it in so that should all that should all help it's a it's a really fascinating lineup Uh, just just tell me a little bit about the the charity you're raising money for this year Mm -hmm. um so we're raising money for the brilliant breakfast um which um helps support young women um into employment education and um training all through the prince's trust programs um so it's a yeah really amazing charity and i really hope we can raise as much money as possible for them Thank you to Kate and to all my many, many guests uh, today. Jane Mangan is still with me and has a tip for you. Yes, we're going to keep it real at Kilbegan. The second race is the Division 2 of the Maiden Hurdle at 4.45. And I hope show business, a horse that has been ultra consistent without ever breaking his maiden tag, can do so in the 4.45 this evening. All right, Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. Busy show. I hope you feel better informed now than you did at the start. I certainly do. That was Thursday, the 21st of April. See you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. (music) 